0: from Blue Wire Studios today so you're ready for the August premiere. lamb parties episode 29 from the las vegas review journal brought to you by bet online i am your host ryan smith and with me as always is lucas Egan. lucas how was your weekend what has been going on my friend
1: uh my weekend was good i broke down and i just bought uh paper mario and i'm excited to give it a try you know what it looks fun to me so I'm, i'm ready to dive into that how was yours ryan It was good. It was good.
0: Uh, You know, again, I uh, had a long weekend last weekend, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, Just kind of disconnecting from uh, from electronics and the interwebs and and getting out into the country, uh, did some shooting and whatnot. So it was cool. I'm uh, game wise. I'm not really working on anything. I'm still playing uh, Detroit Become Human and working through that. And I think I might go back and try to finish Red Dead Redemption 2. I need to. It's a shame that I haven't yet. Uh, But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. It's been good otherwise, though, man.
1: Well, good, good. I am excited to introduce our guest this week. Alana Pierce is a veteran in the games media space. Most recently, you know her from the Play, Watch, Listen podcast, Kinda Funny's Xbox podcast, Xcast, and her work with Funhouse. Alana, thank you so much for joining us today.
2: Hi, thanks for having me. What's up? I can't believe you haven't finished Red Dead Redemption 2. I know I am a.
0: My backlog is so ridiculous. It is absolutely (laughs) shameful. It it really like my main thing before the PlayStation Five comes out. I have to finish Metal Gear Solid Five. I absolutely love that series, and the fact that I haven't finished that is is just insanity.
2: Well, you know, just to give you a heads up, the ending not as satisfying as you would hope. Uh, oh no! <laughs> I actually, um, I rented out. It's one of the most ridiculous things I've ever done. Not as expensive as it sounds. It was very convenient. I rented out a movie theater when um, the Resident Evil 2 remake came out and had a bunch of friends like come in and we played through the whole game in a cinema, which was absolutely terrifying. But before anyone showed up, I got in early and finally finished the Red Dead Redemption 2 uh, epilogue because I finished the game but not done the epilogue. So I did it in the cinema by myself. It was so cool.
0: (laughs) That would be an an amazing experience.
2: Mm, It ruled. Very good stuff.
0: That is awesome. Well, let's get right into it so we can. Uh, uh, we just won. Uh, I know Lucas here on Twitter uh, had posted um, a a poll. Essentially, the, the hype is there. The the we are so close, uh, yet so far away from getting these new consoles. And and Lucas had to ask, you know, which which console or or what people's thoughts were essentially, on these consoles. Uh, Lucas, break down the numbers for us here.
1: Yeah, so apparently uh, a lot of my followers are Sony people, because PlayStation had more than 50% of the votes, uh, followed by the Xbox Series X, but pretty far behind and then we had neither in third place that was not that far behind either i was surprised i thought this was going to be way more close to an even split than it was uh i'm interested though what you guys think if you had to go buy one today and you could only choose one to say for example which one would you get
0: alana i'll let you go first
2: Uh, i would get the playstation five and i say that um though the Xbox Series X has a larger launch library, but I have a PC and I think that that is part of Microsoft's strategy is that they are not trying to, uh, I think this confuses a lot of people. They are actually, the console wars aren't going to be the same the next generation because Microsoft aren't actually necessarily trying to sell consoles in the same way that PlayStation five is. They're trying to get you on their subscription services like game pass. Um, but also, you know, cross play play anyway, they're trying to get you just into their, their ecosystem software wise and services wise So for me, um, I'm absolutely going to get both anyway. I always do. Obviously I work in the industry, so that's not difficult for me to do, but, uh, yeah, having a PC, um, next generation, you don't, if you have one that can play, you know, any of the titles coming out, you don't need to get an Xbox series X. And I I think we shouldn't be criticizing Microsoft for that. It's convenient for people that they don't have to spend another 500 or whatever dollars on, on a piece of hardware that they don't necessarily need.
0: Yeah, I agree 100%. And, and Peter, uh, we had Peter Lam on uh, last week, and he made a great point that, you know, because that's what I was saying. I was like, what's the point of getting an Xbox? I have a PC. There's Game Pass. I have now access to all these games. Uh, but you're you're 100% correct. They're just trying to get you into that ecosystem. At this point, they're like, I don't care how you get in here. We mm-hmm. just want you in here. So if it's via Xbox console, if it's via PC, and now we're offering Game Pass, we got your back. Come over here to us. So. I, I think there's definitely a lot less hype behind a series X. Obviously I've been a PlayStation guy myself, uh, you know, since, since, since the get go uh, with PlayStation. Uh, so I, obviously I am automatically on the hype train. I was a mm-hmm. day one PS 4 my, like I was literally Charlie at the chocolate factory, get a golden ticket. Uh, it came early. Cause I ordered it from Amazon and they shipped them out a day early. So it showed up at my work and I'm just like, <gasps> <laughs> my boss just looked at my face and said, Go home, just go home.
2: And I was like, yes,
0: like I literally have uh, uh, a screenshot of uh, I w- i had uh, I think it was uh, Call of Duty Ghost, and I was in the multiplayer lobby, and I was one of uh, like sixty seven people uh, in the world in the lobby. I was like, I was like, I got get a screenshot of this. I was like, I'll never see this ever again. You sure in my wasn't life not
2: because that game was bad. <laughs> That was not Mm. great.
0: (laughs) Yeah, that that game did end up being pretty, pretty, pretty. mm. Mm. But it was, yeah. Um, So I'm definitely, definitely about the the PlayStation 5. Uh, I think that 5% really is kind of indicative of people that are, I guess, more in the industry or that's something that they do that, that they, you know what I mean, like, or I mean, I guess they could be super fans uh, as well, but I don't know uh, that that number doesn't surprise me. And then neither. I'm assuming those are PC Master Race uh, folk or or those that just, you know what I mean? Like choose to go with us, which maybe maybe a younger audience. Um, so, yeah, I, that, those numbers played out exactly how I thought they would play out.
2: I think me, too. Like with the the significant market share that PlayStation or Sony has had over Microsoft last generation. I feel like it makes perfect sense that more people would say PlayStation than Xbox this time around as well. It pretty much calculates.
0: Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It will be fascinating to watch since Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo are kind of running three different races. So Mm -hmm. it's going to be really fun to see how each company is going to adjust and evolve over time. Let me ask you guys one thing then, you know, every generation, I feel like there's, that portion of gamers that could only afford, for whatever reason, not console gaming. So if you liked Microsoft's staple of software that they're showing, would you suggest to them that they try and, and save up a little more and, and get a gaming PC? Or what are the advantages you think of them buying a Series X as opposed to a, a gaming PC?
2: It's the convenience, I think, you know, it's just having the hardware pre-built for you. You don't have to worry about it. It's there. You put it in your living room, you plug it in. Um, it's a it's just a more casual version of that same experience, though, mm-hmm. you know, that both of the, the consoles at this point really are just mini PCs in any case. So uh, it's similar. But, yeah, I think it's just a convenience. You buy the box. It looks cool. You plug it in You play it. Um, and I feel like for people who have less money Xbox probably has the better deals with Game Pass. If you can't afford to buy a lot of games in a year, you can rent it for even a month and you could play, you know, a hundred plus games. I think it's 200 at this point on the actual Xbox consoles rather than the ultimate on PC. Mm -hmm. So yeah, for for people who have less money, I think uh, Microsoft has some really good offerings, but obviously we still don't know how much those consoles are going to cost. I'm expecting the Xbox to be less than the PlayStation, but I have no idea
0: see in my thoughts like my theory was that that P- playstation is, is is just been holding out waiting for xbox to announce they so they can just kind of undercut a little bit yeah, yeah exactly like hey it worked before why wouldn't we do it again uh so hopefully like that's i mean that's the one big question now that really hasn't been answered within this whole thing is how much is it gonna cost us like just take my money now but you know the people need to know
2: yeah they're not even that far away it it feels like we should know by now and it seems crazy that we don't but yeah maybe they're just still waiting on one another or something like it's it's been a weird year to launch new consoles obviously like without e3 or any of the previews available in person as media it's been really strange because every game we preview is either through like parsec or discord or nvidia which Mm -hmm. normally you do something in a room so it's just such a different experience and none of us have any real idea of what games actually look or play like on these consoles because nobody is able to try anything on these consoles and won't be until they're out.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah, that is that. Well, and I did see something uh, uh, about Xbox making their multiplayer free. Uh, and just being able to do that experience which I think would be nice and you and you're 100% correct I, I feel like uh, the Xbox is more a little more consumer friendly uh, especially for those that don't have enough you know or don't have a lot of money to go drop on on building or buying a pre-built PC or or something like that it's kind of that that consumer friendly level kids are able to play it uh, you know they've got offerings you know all kinds of offerings and stuff like that too Um So I I still think they're going to be I still think they're going to have I I think it'll be good uh, as far as sales and stuff like that. But I don't know that this is really their major concern. I think they're more focused on being able to just, you know, kind of like we talked about play wherever you want to play, however you want to play, on um, whatever system you want to play, just be a part of Microsoft and we got your back. Uh, so. XCloud
2: plans to be on mobile. They're trying to go after that massive mobile market as well, also in countries that don't generally buy consoles. Uh, so it is they are thinking much more globally than just America or just the West, which is often how we have these conversations. But, you know, I interviewed Aaron Greenberg not that long ago and talking about We want people in South Africa who don't have consoles to be playing through xCloud on mobile uh, because that's how you reach a much bigger market. So you're right. It's like uh, both of you, I think, touched on this. Just completely different strategies this time around to the extent that I feel like the console wars don't exist. It's not going to be a generation of this one sold more than this one because the only one that's trying to sell, I guess Nintendo are of course trying to sell units as well, but even they approach it differently because they release new hardware every two years or less. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's just numbers aren't going to mean anything. Everyone's doing different things. I'm more interested in how the landscape changes. If we do end up going full streaming, how Stadia, uh, manages, how well XCloud does, like, is it going to have a better launch than Stadia? Cause I feel like that's the direction that the industry is headed in. That's where people, uh from the business side seem to want us to go because that way they get your guaranteed money from subscriptions um mm-hmm. so it's it's going to be uh, i think a lot of changes coming to the industry
0: I agree, and and, I mean, we we I don't know how many conversations I've had uh, just about that, and just how the whole industry is definitely moving more towards cloud gaming and being able to play. You know, the all the cross platform. You've got Sony buying into Microsoft's infrastructure because they're so proprietary, and they didn't. I I think personally, because they didn't want to have to start from scratch. Why not? Hey. We're gonna partner up with Microsoft. Let us get into that uh, into that infrastructure, so we can start being competitive in this cloud space as well. So the industry is definitely changing, and and it's exciting. I, I can't wait to see you know just how the how much the landscape changes uh, in gaming.
2: I like part of me sort of hates that. I physical games probably are going to go away eventually because everyone's like, I already get most of my games digital now being in LA. Like apartments just don't have space. And I still like, if I look at my stack, I still have like, probably like just shy of a hundred games physically, but for me to get any more, there's literally no room left. I can't. So I'm getting everything digitally now. And it is worth noting that even when you buy a game physically, you're still just buying a physical version of the license. You never own any of the games that you buy for the record ever. Um, But Like everything's going more digital and then eventually things will be just streaming based. And it's like, ah, there are things about that that I really don't like that. I feel like I'm just going to have to accept because that's what the tech companies want. And we ultimately don't matter as much as the shareholders or as the profits do. So it's just inevitable.
0: Yeah. Yep. No, you're, you're 100% correct. I've got a lot of buddies that, that love having those physical, just a physical copy. But again, it's like, we never really truly own, uh, the game. So, yeah. you know what I mean? What, what does it matter if I have a physical copy or, or something digital? I, I for me, I definitely went digital probably four or five years ago. Yeah, and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to get digital from now. I'm not even going to mess around with actual discs or, or you know, shipping errors.
2: Yeah, yeah. thanks, Amazon. <laughs> what I've been doing is buying my favorite game every year physically, just for the mm-hmm. fun of it. So, like, last yeah. year it was Sekiro, so I bought Sekiro, just a, a physical copy um, on both Xbox One and on PS4. Because I feel like that's, like, a cute way to, like, keep having that collection and just be yeah. like, oh, this is my favorite this year, this year, this year that I have physically in front of me. But that's just, like, a stupid collector in me that can't help, but be like, I need something. (laughs) Yeah,
1: Yeah, that's not a bad idea. I'm still old fashioned. I like having the physical copies of the game. I like looking at them. I like seeing them on my shelf. So I'm just, I'm just old fashioned. I'm a sucker for collector's editions too. So they always get me.
0: No, I totally get that. No, I get it. I get it. We'll see how, how it fleshes out though. We are literally into August. We've got to be getting some some more finite uh, definition of what uh, these these consoles launches are gonna look like. I know that they're saying that uh, all the uh, um, like the stores at least have holding pages. Uh, so it, it's got to be coming soon, guys. We got to be patient here. We got to be patient. Um, let's take a quick uh, commercial break, and we will be back to talk all about Alana.
1: <laughs> Sports are coming back, and so are your chances to bet on your favorite teams and events. Major League Baseball is finally kicking off this week, and there's no better place to start wagering than Bet Online. Check out all the odds, futures, and props to bet on, all available 24-7. And with the return of sports, BetOnline sat down with former pro players Eddie George, Harold Reynolds, and seven-time NBA champ Robert Ory. See what they had to say on what it'll be like playing without fans in a series they're calling Fandemic. Visit betonline.ag for all your odds and up-to-date sports news. Remember to use the promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus. That's promo code BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. And welcome back. Thanks for listening to that short message as always. And I'm excited to jump right into this. And Alana, I'd like to start when you were just getting into games journalism and games media. I know that you studied journalism. And so what kind of led you toward getting on this path? And um, what got you interested in games journalism at first?
2: It's funny because like my answer is so lame. It's like my whole life just led me to this. Uh, so, you know, since I was a kid, I started playing games, we think, at about four. Um, from the point where I could write, I was even writing reviews of games, uh, writing my thoughts on them. I have diaries from when I was, like, eight years old where I talk about my favorite games and why I liked them. Um, so my, my two passions in life are video games and writing. So no matter what, this is kind of where I was going to end up, basically. <laughs> um, and the path that, like, actually took me there was... I kind of for a long time like it didn't occur to me that it's something I could do professionally even though I was doing it my whole life like obviously like I said in journals or whatever that I still have uh or then I started doing it on blogs like I was doing it on Myspace and on Tumblr and all that stuff just like mm-hmm. writing about video games that I was playing because uh, again it's just something I've always been really passionate about and I think um it was I was 17 I think maybe a little bit older than that. I don't even remember anymore. But I started when I was still a teenager, at least. Uh, I just saw a listing on a website when I was looking for a job because I was working at a call center, which is the worst. uh, That was for a (laughs) volunteer games writer, which meant, you know, I wasn't going to be paid. But I was like, oh, I could do this people and then get published and it just like kind of clicked in my head and i was like okay i'm gonna dedicate my entire life to doing this (laughs) so that's pretty much it it was it was never really a question um it was as soon as i figured out that it was an option for me it was what i was going to do and i feel like the the next thing that i will do will probably be to write a video game so like move from the media side to the writing side and i've been saying that for like three years i'm like eventually at some point i will do that because i've also written a bunch of like stupid novels and, and stuff my whole life too so uh, it was It was always just gonna be writing in video games in some capacity, basically.
1: You know, I had read that um, earlier in your career that you had written down that you wanted to work at places like IGN and Rooster Teeth. And both of those have come true, obviously, since since that uh, has happened. What about those two places kind of stood out to you and, and how have you kind of seen your goals evolve? I know you just touched on wanting to maybe write a, a video game in the future, but how have your goals kind of evolved as the years have gone by?
2: So it was actually more specific than that. It was, I want to work for IGN and then I want to work for Rooster Teeth in that order. I have it as a blog post, again, that I was like, I literally want to do this and then I want to do this. Um, So it was pretty simple. Like I started as a volunteer and then I went to freelance writing and I was writing for magazines and websites in Australia. And then I kind of recognized that in order to really get into the industry, I needed to have more skills because it's so competitive and everyone wants to be in the industry. So I took a photography class. I uh, started... Uh, I volunteered to make YouTube videos for one particular brand. So I was, I even started as like a volunteer gaming news reporter and my first videos are all really bad, but I was like, I feel like if I want to do this full time, I have to have that skill also. Um, and then I volunteered on community radio in Australia cause I was like, well, all these companies have podcasts. I just want to make sure I can do all of it. <laughs> I don't know that I can do it all well, but like that I have it all on my resume so that I could eventually get a job at IGN. Um, and IGN was the goal because it was the biggest, that's really it. It just seemed like a a reasonable, like they are the largest in this industry that I want to exist in. So why not make them the company that I want to work towards being a part of? Um, Mm -hmm. and so that's, that's pretty much what I did. And obviously it's like very complicated to go from Australia to U S visa. That whole thing was a nightmare. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that was really just like kind of inevitable. Whereas the Rooster Teeth side of it was, but I think uh, I also just liked the brand. So I watched Red versus Blue from when it was on Google Video before YouTube was really even a thing. Mm. Uh, and I think I just, like, a, a, Rooster Teeth also has, like, had the games media stuff, but also did a lot of funny content, which is plenty of what I was doing in IGN. So I was also producing like comedy let's plays when I worked there as well as mostly my focus was on writing features that would then get turned into, um, video features as well. So that was a very large part of my job as well as like events, coverage interviews, all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it was, it was more just like liking the Rooster Teeth brand in a way that it seemed like a lot of people very much focused on having fun. Uh, so especially after being in the specifically journalism side for a full six years straight um, that jump was just kind of it's I still get to do that side of it I don't really consider myself a journalist anymore Mm -hmm. it's just it's still in the same bracket of of games media but just a different kind different set of skills because we also do like scripted content live action content um, a lot of different kinds of things like stand-up comedy was a part of my job technically so it was just again uh, maybe an obsession with just broadening those skills as much as I can I suppose.
0: Well, and I was saying to you that that uh, we were talking a little bit beforehand, uh, just it's like, I don't know how you keep it all straight because you've got so much going on. What are some of the projects that like that you're currently working on, some of the things that you're doing?
2: So my most of my day right now is working for Inside Gaming and Funhouse. Uh, so I wake up in the morning at like 830 and work on our new script for Inside Gaming. We record the news at uh, 930 or 10. And then I will usually jump straight from that into a funhouse video. Like I just came from doing a funhouse comments show, which takes an hour. We read dumb comments and make jokes about them. And then I'm doing this. And then at two, I have to go do the kind of funny X cast. I was going to say find a Cuddy. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of funny X cast, um, which is actually going to feature Major Nelson. So we'll be interviewing Larry and then... Uh, after that, uh, there's a, another Funhouse thing that I have to do, which is um, like a live trivia show. So it's like it changes every day for sure. But most of my job is Rooster Teeth, which you know, uh, Rooster Teeth owns both Inside Gaming and Funhouse. So I'm very much like half both of those brands. Um, but I also like I have a YouTube channel that I mostly update as a hobby, where I just kind of talk about whatever I want to. I've been doing that a lot more since isolation started because I'm isolating alone in a tiny apartment. You can. It looks like I'm in my kitchen. For the record, I'm not. It's separate enough. (laughs) My PC is technically in a separate area, but it's a studio, so my kitchen is my whole apartment, basically. Um, But yeah, it's just been like, I feel like I've needed to have a lot of creative outlets to not go crazy uh, in isolation, basically, especially someone who's high risk for this kind of uh, pandemic. So a lot Mm -hmm. of that output, I I Twitch stream randomly too. um, But I also am in a couple of video games and there's another one that I'll get to announce well kind of whenever I'm just holding on to it so yeah I've been doing voice acting and, and a little bit of scripting as well helping out with um, occasional a little bit of writing for video games too so yeah I do a lot of stuff but it is all from a place of passion of just really loving talking about video games that's pretty much it <laughs> very simple
1: you know as you've kind of transitioned from more of the the straight journalism side into some of the more the creative projects you've gotten to do was that you know, when you mentioned that that when you had written in your blog post, it was a very specific order, IG, and then Rooster Teeth, did you have that kind of transition in mind that you wanted to try the journalism side and then move over to the more creative side, or did that kind of just come up naturally as you kind of went along?
2: No, I feel like I, I evolved that as I went along, and it also kind of got to a point where, and I I know, I always feel like I don't know how other people don't have this problem, uh, where I've been in the industry or so involved in the industry for long enough that I just sort of know everyone, you know, in mm-hmm. that I have plenty of friends who are devs or publishers to the extent where if I was a journalist, we would, we'd be at a point where I would have to be like trying not to be friends with these people I really like because there are so many ethical issues that I see these people at every single event and I love them and I become friends with them. And I was like, I don't feel like I'm so into this that I feel like I can't even try and touch this anymore. And maybe not enough people think about the ethical side of, <laughs> of games journalism, certainly get some criticism for that. But I was like, I just don't even feel like I can do this anymore. Um, but I think my, my biggest thing, like, you know, I talk about passion for videos, passion for writing. Mm -hmm. Uh, the thing that keeps me going is an obsession with learning. Um, which is like when I say acquiring new skills, it's that I want to know how to do new stuff all the time. So I think it would be a struggle for me to ever really work at a company where I felt like I was stagnant and not doing new things and learning new things all the time. Um, which yeah, when I left IGN, uh, people had a million theories, but the reason really was I had done everything there. I had learned everything that I was to learn. Uh, my job was still very fun and very challenging and, you know, it could be crazy hours, uh, but no one cares about crunch when it's media. Uh, but it was, it was brutal. Um, but yeah, I, I really enjoyed it there and some of my best friends in the world still work there, but I just didn't have anything left to do. Like I had, done everything. And no one was getting promoted. It was just, I was just very much going to be doing the same thing years on end. And I, I feel like I'd be very unmotivated by that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's more of an obsession with learning new stuff than anything
1: else. I've got a, a more conceptual question for you. When you look at being so experienced in games, and like you are, do you see areas that you wish or hope that the industry as a whole will change and evolve to Like, is there an area on how they cover things or the way they cover things that needs to get better, do you think?
2: My biggest criticism of games journalism as a whole is writers writing for themselves and their friends rather than audiences. Um, and to be fair, it's very difficult to write for an audience because you can say the truth and they can get very angry at you. Mm-hmm. I recently made a video about thinking Game Pass is incredible, and I do. I think it's like it's so pro-consumer. Of course, there are downsides to Game Pass. Um, Potentially in the long term, uh, a lot of questions that I have, but you know, that's an honest piece that I really wanted to just say, uh, I wouldn't call that journalism. It was like literally in my pajamas. It was like 11 PM made a, a stupid video. Like it wasn't like Phil Spencer was like, great video. And I was like, Oh, <laughs> 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 oh uh, but it, point, point being like that, that it is hard to write for an audience because I got just, people were just mad at me for saying something positive about Xbox. Right. Because you know, that's the the community can be so vitriolic sometimes. And then people are just very, very passionate, invested in video games um, that it, it evokes a lot of very strong reactions. So it can be very hard to do. But I ultimately think that from what I've seen in a lot of cases, journalists are writing a lot of features that they want their friends to pat them on the back for more than necessarily um, it being about actually discovering uh, or, or reaching out to enough sources or interviewing the right people. And this is certainly not broad. There are a lot of outlets that do a great job and don't do what I'm saying at all. Uh, it's just mm-hmm. definitely something that I've seen is is the this habit of writing to impress your peers rather than writing to inform an audience, I think. Um, I, mean, I mean, there are plenty of criticisms that I have of that industry and certainly many other industries as well. But that's the one that stands out to me is the thing that I'm like, I wish I could read more pieces where you interviewed 50 developers and less pieces about how you felt about this emotionally or whatever.
0: Well, how, how difficult is it to, especially, you know, being a content creator or even, um, you know, kind of navigating the social world? Like, I, I feel like cancel culture is really uh, come to the forefront. And I feel like, you know, a lot of times the Internet rage uh, is is it just it's so harsh on certain things. And sometimes I'm just like, I don't understand why you're mad internet, but <laughs> they are like, how is that? Like, how do you, you know, what, what are your thoughts and navigating, uh, you know, that world and that space?
2: Well, when working in IGN, it could be really hard. And I have spoken about this before in that you, I, I will always say the truth and you couldn't ever get me to not. Like, I'm always going to mm-hmm. say what I think. Like, If there was a script in front of me and I didn't write it and it had an opinion that I didn't agree with, I just wouldn't say it. You could never make me say something I don't agree with. Um, good luck to anyone who would dare try. Like, I don't even think anyone at IGN would try to be like she'll rip your head off. Don't, you? <laughs> don't do that. Uh, but it, it was a difficult one because like, I've, I've spoken about this before but um, I was very negative on No Man's Sky before it launched. Everyone was very hyped mm-hmm. about it. There are several videos where you can still see the goddamn comments where I was like, I don't think it's going to have enough content. Uh, I think it's it's probably not going to have very much to do. And then it comes out, and I was correct. But those comments of people like being like, who is this idiot? Like, What does she know about video games? This is the most ridiculous stuff I've ever heard. And people were just very angry at me for sharing that perspective. Um, and I knew they would be because everyone was so excited about it. But then it came out, and it was true. And I had the same thing with Mass Effect Andromeda. There was a period where everyone was very excited about that game. I wrote a preview where I was like, I'm terrified to write this preview because this game is bad. I remember walking out of the room and feeling nervous because I was like, oh, no, this <laughs> game is terrible. Like it looks bad. It controls bad. Oh, and I have to be the one to tell everyone it's bad. Oh, no. And I had to like think about how I was going to write that because, of course, you will always still say the truth. But it means that people will be really angry at you. Um, so that that's a really complicated thing when it comes to games journalism and that. Uh, there are subsets of it that, where people say that they want the truth, but in a lot of cases, it feels like they actually just want you to reaffirm their opinions. And I feel like that goes alongside that Game Pass video, where it's like, I can share my honest opinion, but because I'm not saying something positive about PlayStation, uh, which naturally I always have had plenty of positive things to say about as well. But if that's the only video you see, then I'm a Microsoft shill and I'm paid off. So where, where that stuff is concerned and, the, and that console stuff is concerned, you just kind of have to completely ignore it. And my stance has always been just be genuine. And then, you know, if people get mad about it, <laughs> I just kind of walk away. <laughs> I'm like, hey, all that matters at the end of the day is that I was true to myself. I said the truth. I was genuine about that. Um, and I've certainly made mistakes. Everyone has, but that is one thing I can stick to is I've always been very genuine and always said what I feel. So I think that that, that helps me sleep at night. Bro, to cancel culture, I don't feel like I've gotten in much trouble. Uh, it's certainly always a risk, but I don't think anyone's gonna try to cancel me for liking Game Pass. I hope.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Why are people angry about that? Game Pass is, it's solid. It now allows me to be able to play these Xbox games that I've never had the chance to play because I never owned an Xbox.
2: It's very good. It's very good. Uh, But no, PlayStation fans don't want to hear it. Now There are also fair criticisms, though. Um, Like, it could, again, these are all questions, not confirmed criticisms, but Mm -hmm. it could mean that Uh, There is a push for shorter, lower quality games so that there are more of them, like quantity over quality. Um, Mm -hmm. That could end up happening down the line. Uh, From what I've spoken, for the the people I've spoken to Microsoft about it, it seems like they are actually definitely not going to do that. I get the vibe that they're like, we're aware of that perception. We are not going to have that happen. There will be a lot of games on there. We will be making deals with indies and third parties, which for the record is also worth mentioning. I've spoken to several devs about it. Generally, if your game is on Game Pass, you will get paid. So it isn't that the devs get less. They don't get one cent per download when they're on Game Pass, it is it is part of a, a marketing deal, basically, where they will get paid mm. to have their games on Game Pass at the jump rather than getting a small cut uh, of whatever earnings there are from Game Pass. Not that I imagine it's a small amount with like 10 million subscribers, but that is worth mentioning. But yeah, there, there are definitely definitely downsides to it, and I don't want to uh, gloss over those, but it's ultimately that when you talk about it being pro-consumer because you know it means people get a lot of games for really cheap, Red Dead Redemption mm-hmm. 2 is on there. You could finish it on Game Pass, $15 a month. Uh, but because it's not PlayStation and people like PlayStation, they were just mad at me for saying things about it.
0: <laughs> I totally have Game Pass. I don't even care. Again, I'm very much in that in that Microsoft mindset. I don't care what I play it on. I just want the games and I want to be able to play them.
2: Pretty much same. Yeah, as someone with like, you know, I, a, a PlayStation, Xbox, and Nintendo, I have like three Nintendo tattoos uh I feel like I'm I'm living in the best world where I get to enjoy all three and pieces I'm like, this is great for me. I love what's happening here. And I also like that these, these consoles really do feel like they're diversifying, where I feel like Microsoft has a much more multiplayer or even online focus. Um, of course, that's not going to be the case for all of them. They're not going to make Hellblade 2 an online game. Fable is not right. an MMO. Uh, but they do have a, a stronger multiplayer base, whereas PlayStation has these beautiful epic blockbusters that are very cinematic and are often really high fidelity in terms of graphics. And then Nintendo has a bunch of really cute stuff that I just really love. And I can take it anywhere. <laughs> so I'd like exactly. across the board, feel like I'm winning, though I am making the most expensive choice.
1: <laughs> you know, I wanted to talk to you a little bit some of the projects that, that you're involved with. I mean, obviously some of the, the podcast you're doing, some amazing co hosts that you're working with. Just that so, it looks like you guys have so much fun. Can you kind of talk about how those podcasts kind of came to be and what you hope people get from them when they tune in and watch or listen?
2: Uh, if you're talking about Playwatch Listen specifically, that is a weekly video game podcast that I have on my YouTube channel and just on all audio podcast services. Um, that show, so I've been friends with Troy Baker and Austin Wintery, who are two of my co-hosts, who doesn't know. Troy Baker is a voice actor. He's Joel in the Last of Us. He's Booker DeWitt. Um, Austin Wintory is the composer of Journey um, and a bunch of other video games. And then Mike Bithel, who is our third uh, runs Bithol Games, um, so he is an independent game developer as well as our resident coder. He has a lot of experience in development, but is also a game director, so he can speak more broadly to that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to do that podcast for a really long time because uh, Austin and Troy and I have been friends for a really long time, and we have really great chemistry and conversations. Just when we'd have like dinner or whatever, where the way we talk about video games, I was like, "This is really interesting," and I don't want to stop talking to you guys. And then we did this panel. Mike asked me to host at a New York Comic Con about John Wick Hex, which is a game that he directed that Austin composed and that uh, voice that Troy voices the main villain in Slash is the main voice actor for that game. So I brought the four of us together and I was like, this panel is so good. These people are so passionate. They have such different fields. I can speak to the media side and also can run as a producer because that's a large part of my job, which means figuring out what we're going to talk about, what the headline is, what the thumbnail is, to try to make it the most efficient, doing the editing, all of that stuff. Um, And also just speaking to the media side that they obviously can't touch on. Um, Yeah, it was was these four people that had really good chemistry and all very, very, very different backgrounds who all really respect and love each other. So it was kind of a thing that I was like, let's just do it. And so I just sent them a DM and was like, I really want to do this. How do you guys feel about it? Because every time we've had a conversation with just the four of us, it's been amazing and i never want to stop talking to you and we just published our 23rd episode today uh which is ultimately not that many um you guys are also a new show by the sounds of things <laughs> congrats yep. on almost 30 episodes <laughs> thank you <laughs> but it, it basically was just like a thing that i was like this has to be made uh so we started doing it it's it's very much a show that is about four people who love each other and like making each other laugh but also are very passionate we disagree on a lot of stuff, which is, I think, my favorite thing about it versus all the other podcasts I've ever worked on, like at IGN. Uh, we had less disagreement on those, I think, whereas there are some things we vehemently disagree uh, with the other boys on, on that show. But I guess because we like each other so much, it's always very respectful and informed disagreement. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's a, we do make a lot of tangents and a lot of stupid jokes and it's not very structured, but it is ultimately just four people together uh, who are very experienced in their various vocations talking extremely enthusiastically about things so i have a ton of fun making that show um but i, I also am on the inside gaming podcast which is send news which is basically a, a weekly news roundup with the inside gaming team of all your mm-hmm. gaming stuff and then dude soup um which is fun houses podcast that is pretty much more broad we do cover video games this week we did talk about the nintendo leaks um but we also talk about just like internet trending stuff basically whoever runs the show can pick whatever topic they like in on any given week um And then I have Red Lips, Orange Car, which is my comedy slash dating podcast, uh, which is mostly about like finding something insane uh, on Reddit or Craigslist uh, and then sharing it with the other people on the podcast live. So you find like the craziest story that you can uh, to do with dating or relationships (laughs) or whatever and then share it. And that's a lot of fun, too. That one's just like an extra thing that is just fun to make. (laughs) It's a lot of podcasts. (laughs)
1: You know, I know you touched on this before. I just, the, one thing that I've always wondered about is, is having that work-life balance. And when, when you are, have your hand in, in so many different projects, do you ever find yourself at risk of, of feeling some burnout? Or do you ever have to take, say, I just need to step away for a day or something or, or, or to kind of keep that balance? I mean, I, I would go crazy if I had my hands in that many stuff right now.
2: All I do is work, um, and I am obsessed with it and it is not healthy and I would not recommend it to anyone, but burnout is not an issue for me because all I ever want to do is work. Um, so, again, I would never recommend anyone function the way that I do. It's not, it can't be good. Uh, it, I'm sure it sucks for anyone I'm ever in a relationship with. <laughs> um, like, I don't watch TV. I don't watch movies. All I do is try to play games so that I'm informed on every video game ever. Um, or, like, games I want to learn about or games that friends have recommended to me. Uh, I absolutely haven't watched TV in, like, three months. Um, it, it, it is constant work. And, uh, yeah, it's just kind of something weird about the way that I function is that I'm very, very, very obsessed with it. Uh, So, yeah, burnout isn't going to be an issue because it's all I ever want to do. But um, I think one thing that's been really important to me is like I did have a bunch of health issues last year, which frankly were not caused by overworking, Uh, but they did prevent me from working as much and then it just made me miserable because I wasn't working. So I did try to like realign some of that stuff where I now try to make sure that um, I'm working out every day, I'm eating healthy, uh, I'm taking care of my body even though I am constantly working. Um, but I also try to like literally schedule time because otherwise I won't do it to like play guitar or make music or draw or write, uh, fiction just to make sure that I actually do do that stuff, even though I would prefer to be working literally constantly, but it's a problem. Nobody should be like me. It's going to, something bad is going to happen. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it can't work in the long
0: run. <laughs> I can totally, like, I, I feel like I can relate to that though, too, It's just like, you know, just... Constantly doing things we're finding new things uh, To pick up I've got I mean I've got A violin I told myself I'm going to learn the violin And Good I'm going to do it I haven't Yeah but you know just having different activities And different things that's why I feel like you know with This current situation I feel like uh, You know there's a lot of people that That struggle with being indoors And just uh, uh, you know doing Things from their house whereas me it, You know it feels like I'm, I'm very much Made for this like you're telling me I get the I, I've been able to work in my sweatpants for the last three months like, this is a dream come true. I'm wearing sweatpants <laughs> right now. I'm
2: not going to lie. Like most of the time I am, but just nobody can see it. It's so good. But I feel the same, yeah. but I kind of feel bad about it because it's like, you know, the global situation is negative for a lot of people. I definitely, right. I can't go outdoors really um, because I don't have a balcony and it's busy, right. you know? So I, as uh, someone who's immunocompromised and has asthma, I have to be really careful. Uh, so that not being able to go outside is a huge bummer, but generally, yeah. I'm just being super productive. It's been good, but I, you know, don't wanna even slightly uh, take anything away from how serious the situation is and for how much it sucks for a lot of other people. So that's definitely worth pointing out.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, you know, some of those uh, kind of silver lining things. And uh, another one too, just just because everybody's been, you know, are, are spending more time at home, uh, I feel like the digital space has really, had that opportunity to kind of step into, this, into the uh, uh, spotlight and be like, look, look at all the things that you can do. You don't have to physically be in an office or, you know what I mean? It's like it, it's kind of changed the way businesses and people and I feel like the whole, you know, the whole the world as a whole uh, and, and has really propelled itself into the spotlight.
2: In some ways, I really hope so, because I'm a person who uh, is sort of antisocial and I love working from home. Uh, Mm. But every company I've ever worked for has hated it. So if I'm like, can I just do this at home? I will get it done faster. It will be better. Um, Sometimes IGN would let me do things from home, but generally you had to be in the office. So I'm like kind of hoping that persists because I like being able to get stuff done from home.
1: (laughs) Agreed. We'll see. (laughs) You know What? You had mentioned that people should not follow your example with with your crazy schedule. What would your advice be to people looking to break in either to the journalism side or the media side on what are some first steps they can take uh, to set them down that path?
2: I think the way that I did it is virtually foolproof for anyone. Um, So there is one step before that is I feel like I have a lot of people be like, oh, I like video games. I would love to review games for a living but you have to assess what your actual skills are and then tie them to the game games industry. Right. So there are people who are like, I love video games. I think I have informed opinions, but I don't like writing. Okay. Then you shouldn't be a writer. What skills do you have? Uh, are you good at art? Could you be a graphic designer? IGN hires plenty of graphic designers who still get to work with the editorial team, share their opinions, talk about video games. Um, do you know anything about sound engineering? Could you be a producer? Uh, could you work on the podcasts there? Um, There are people in marketing, people in sales, people in engineering. Uh, There are tons of different vocations that you you could or or positions you could work in in the industry that I think it's more about assessing what you are good at um, or what you are most passionate about and then fitting that into the video games industry rather than being like, I like video games. I'm going straight to be a reviewer because I guess fact is if you don't like it, then generally you're not going to be very good at it. Um, so it's, it's like, you got to be self-reflective about how can this industry work with my skill set, and what job can I do that will work in this industry? So figure that out first. For people who are the same as me, who just really like writing, uh, I totally didn't mean to end up working on camera as much as I have. I still don't know that I'm particularly good at it. It just was (laughs) what most of the industry uh, is demanding because they make so much money off video ads. Um, so I made it happen, but again, my first video is very bad, um, so I, yeah, volunteering was what I did. Um, and I was very aggressive about it. And that, uh, that first job listing that I found was for a writer, um, for a volunteer site that I just happened across. So I started doing that. And then I started reaching out to small websites that I would find, which is, you know, part of being a journalist is discovering these opportunities. You should, you should be able to show that you can discover things. So some of it was like, there was this Facebook page called video game memes that had like a million likes. And I was like, okay, this is popular. People are engaging with their content a lot why don't i pitch them something um so i pitched them a youtube news show and that's what we did again unpaid was so that i would get the experience um on a platform that is not just my own youtube channel so that i was working with people uh and so that i could also work with an audience so that was something that i i invented jobs basically uh i went to these people and was like let me do this let me write this i'll do this all for free uh, a lot of people say, "Don't work for free, and of course, that's true, but I needed to until the point where I felt like I was good enough to get paid. I had to right. get that experience to start with, and i'm I feel like I did it the right way. Obviously, when you have the skills don't get ripped off. but I didn't I needed to learn a lot. So yeah, a lot of it for me was reaching out to even like local newspapers and being like, "Are you aware of how many people play video games? Let me do something for you. Um so a lot like I said, inventing jobs is a really big part of it for me that I think anyone can do, and most people don't do. That will naturally give you an edge because most people don't do it. (laughs) So like I contacted like young girls magazines and was like, a lot of girls playing video games. Let me write a weekly thing about, uh, games that young women could get into. And that's the thing that ended up happening just off a cold, cold pitch of me being like, hi, I'm Alana. I'm this, I'm this, I've written for this person and this person. Here's my pitch for you. You haven't already done it. Let's make it happen. So that, that was definitely, again, I say a foolproof way to do it is just force jobs. <laughs> Be like, I will make this for you for free and you will give me feedback and I will improve. Uh, and then it was a matter of just expanding that portfolio. I think I've written for over 50 different outlets now um, just because of the way that I approached it. Uh, and, and then from there, a lot of it is networking. So once I had the experience, I was spending all of my money. Um, that I was making from working at EB Games (laughs) on flying to events in Sydney because I didn't come from one of the hub cities where the video game industry exists. And people ask me about this a lot. They're like, I live in this city in the US. There are no video games here. I feel like I can't get into the industry. I was totally in that position. Mm -hmm. So I was flying to Sydney in Australia to meet people and then meet editors. Um, Things like PAX are really great for that. GDC is really great for that. And then pitching them on features. Um, And then that's when I started asking for money, when I, I felt like I had the experience to do it. So Just start, I guess, is the simplest way to put it. Um, If you want to work on YouTube, just start making YouTube videos. My channel started because I wanted to learn how to edit, Uh, not because I wanted to be a YouTuber. I just wanted to know how to edit uh, and to practice being on camera. Um, So just start making stuff somewhere. Um, Volunteer uh, right where you can. Do what you can to use those skills. And then, yeah, a matter of of building that portfolio and then trying to submit to places that will actually pay you. I, I feel like it's a foolproof plan. But it also is a lot of work for free. And I was very lucky to be living at home with a family who supported me while I was basically extremely poor because I was investing all this money into my career. So that is also worth noting.
1: I think what what might be tough for some people, I know that I've dealt with, with feelings in the past of kind of doubling down on yourself, you know, paying for those trips to go to, to network and whatnot. What would you tell people that might have the passion, you know, they're, they're ready to start learning and build those skills, but they might be held back by some, uh, fear or doubt about kind of betting on themselves almost like that.
2: I mean, I'm really socially awkward. Uh, so I don't know that like networking was ever a thing that I was like comfortable with having to do. I just recognized it. So I don't know that I can give you advice because, um, I, as a person, I'm just aggressively driven and, 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 was willing to risk everything to eventually work at IGN. That was, you know, all GameSpot. I just wanted to work for one of the big ones, really. So it's hard for me to give that advice to someone who didn't struggle with that because I really just was, again, these are my two passions. I am doing this. Uh, I will do it for free until I can get paid. And if I can't, I'll just keep doing it for free forever. Um, I never would have stopped, you know. Um, So I guess it's that. It's like have have the passion and, and, and that'll be the thing that guides you. But I feel like that's such a floaty response because yeah, that wasn't an issue that I dealt with. Um, but certainly having a lot of experience makes you more comfortable. So a part of that is not being afraid of feedback, not taking feedback or edits or, or criticism as an offense because when you start out, you are going to suck at a lot of stuff and you have to get better at it. And other people are the best way to get better at it. Working with teams is the best way to get better at it. And I think once you you start adapting to the feedback that you're getting from other professionals in the field, you will just probably organically feel more confident. But again, I don't want to speak for people who I know have anxieties or, or or uh struggle with self-esteem because i don't feel like that's something that i can just be like yo just fix it it doesn't necessarily <laughs> work that way depending <laughs> on the person.
0: well i think you guys both make good points too uh as far as investing your investing in yourself uh i feel like a lot of people kind of shy away from that and and really you know it, it's it I I feel like it's kind of been very similar for me where I'm a part of another podcast, uh, CFG Gamecast. And we've, we've been running that now for uh, about a year and a half. And, you know, I I had recently about a year ago started uh, over at the review journal and that's where the opportunity to be able to do this podcast came up. And, you know, again, it was like, I've been doing it. I'm, I'm practicing. and, And I'm just, when that opportunity comes, it's so important to be able to you know, try to, to have that confidence and those skill sets uh, to take uh, advantage of the opportunity.
2: Which comes with experience, right? I'm sure your first podcast was scary. and But Absolutely. then you get used to it and you know how to do it and it just it just keeps happening. So yeah, the, the number one piece of advice that I think myself and a lot of other people gave is just start. So like if you don't have anywhere to start, just start writing on your own. It doesn't matter if no one reads it. Just start making YouTube videos if you want to do on-camera stuff. Just start editing. You could download a random movie and just edit it. Just, to, just do it. Like just start doing something. It's better than being like, when is this opportunity going to come up? Because uh, like so many people want to work in games that the opportunity won't come up unless you fight for it like tooth and nail basically. <laughs>
1: you know, you had mentioned that, that one day you want to write, write your, uh, your own game there. Do you conceptually have the overall story beats of, of a game you'd love to work on and, and the story?
2: So this is also an answer that is just a very Alana thing to say. Um, I don't care what I write. I want to write with a good team. So I can learn. So uh, if I write a video game, I would do it to work with a group of people who are very experienced, who I feel like can help me, who have a collaborative environment. I don't care what I write. I care about who I write it with. So it's definitely not something I conceptualize, something that I think I should write. Frankly, I, especially if it's my first game, prefer to have a really experienced director telling me exactly what to do. But my, my focus is much more on learning and collaborating with a group of people uh, than it is on what i write i don't care just give me the learning experience of writing with people who are smarter than me basically (laughs) if i try to be garbage i don't know i wouldn't come up with anything (laughs) much prefer to let someone else handle that side of it
0: (laughs) no i completely understand that Uh, i know we're getting pretty close here on time alana again where can we find you on the socials Uh, uh throw them out there real quick
2: I'm at Charalanazade on everything, which you're not going to be able to spell. It's fine. <laughs> it's my name in the middle of Charizard. if that's at all helpful. But generally, I'm like, hey, you're not going to find it. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Alrighty, righty. Lucas, uh, what is going on for you, my friend? What do
1: you got planned? Uh, what are you grinding out? Well, I mean, probably not a surprise. I'm going to open Paper Mario and I'm just going to try and finish it.
2: Oh, I just said it looks really pretty. I haven't played it. I've never actually played a Paper Mario. I know I should, but...
0: I haven't either. That's why I was like, what is this?
2: Oh, they've been around for a while. I think the GameCube one is generally most people's favorite, so I feel like maybe I'll do that. But people have issues with the combat with Origami King, but it looks really nice. There's water physics. They keep being like, damn, Nintendo. All right. Stepping up your game
0: absolutely and then uh yeah I don't, I don't i don't know i i think uh i think it's time to go back and finish red dead redemption 2 for myself how far uh, somebody, are you? uh i was on i want to say like chapter six or seven is long oh, isn't I it i feel
2: like that's pretty far through but i don't remember how many chapters there are hang on let me look it up. i
0: don't remember either how many
2: chapters I, do you know what happened most recently
0: oh my gosh there are six i can't chapters, even tell so you
2: then the epilogue is eight um wait there wait you said how many there are six chapters total and then if you add oh. the epilogue on there's eight i for some reason i was like oh if you're six in i think there's not that many
0: so i'm i'm fairly close then. i thought i was uh i thought i was a lot further off
2: has the beach thing happened
0: mm, island no.
2: situation i'm trying to be vague uh,
0: I don't think so. I don't okay. think so.
2: Okay, you still okay. got a bit. <laughs> yeah,
0: that's what I figured. But I'll grind that out and we'll uh, we'll do all the things. Again, Alana, thank you so much uh, for taking the time out of your busy schedule. coming Come on. on here to land parties and jibber jab with us. We appreciate it.
2: Thanks for having me, you guys. I feel like I spoke about myself a lot, but it, you asked me questions. So I don't know what you wanted me to do.
0: That was it. That was it. And for you guys out there, thank you so much uh, for listening to Lamb Parties. We hope you guys have a great rest of your week. And you know what it is. We love your faces.